0: Guys, it's good to be back. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel about being back. I'm very excited. The break is kind of long for me. Um, And I'm always ready for you guys to be back on campus uh, to hang out with you and hear what's going on. And uh, to be back together on Thursday nights. Um, RUF is about, uh, we're a community. We say that a lot. We're a community of people. We're learning to love each other. And to love the world around us. And we believe that uh, the way that happens is as we come to know God. And the way we come to know God is in his word. And so, RUF is big on reading the Bible. And each night at RUF, we uh, study a passage of the Bible together. And each semester, we do kind of like a section of the Bible as a series. And this semester, I'm really excited to be going through... Uh, The oldest book of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and, uh, you know, going back to the beginning of everything, and uh, I'm calling our series The Story of Life, and what we're going to see, studying Genesis is one of the best ways to understand the Bible as a whole. It's a good, you know, the best starting place, obviously, and uh, it makes a lot of sense of the world around us and of our lives, and so it's uh, very important, and so we're going to look at a, the creation account today and next week as well, and it's a longer passage that, and I'm, you know, you may be familiar with it, you may have read it before, uh, but we're going to read it together and see, uh, begin to look at this question of, you know, where did we come from, why are we here, and what is life? All about. So uh, read along with me. It's up here. It's going to be on, like, I think, three slides or so. So, uh, you know, settle in. Longer passage tonight, but a really important one. Uh, So, this is God's Word. This is where the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was morning, and there was there was evening, and there was morning. The third day, and God said, "Let the lights in the expanse of the heavens, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth." And it was so. and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we come to your word, uh, we pray that you would make sense of it for us. We pray that you would give us insight into it, uh, we pray most of all that you would apply it to our hearts. Uh, change us by it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, when we look at the book of Genesis, one of the first things, one of the most important things we need to know is that it was written by Moses. You know, Moses is most known for the Exodus story, right? In the Bible, leading Israel out of Egypt. And so as we come to this story, I want us to, you know, Imagine for a minute that you're the original audience of reading this for the first time. And that would mean that you were born into a tribe of wanderers. It would mean that you live in the wilderness in a tent. It would mean that your parents or your grandparents were probably slaves in Egypt, rescued miraculously from slavery through the parting of the Red Sea, Uh, But all you've probably known is a life of wandering and living in tents and uh, maybe seeing some amazing things along the way. And along the way, you probably would hear bits and pieces of stories that your ancestors have passed down about a God. And a God that had made promises to them as you head toward this promised land. But there's no Bible. So you've never heard or read like a definitive account of, say, why are we here? What are we doing? Uh, You've just been a wanderer. And then one day God speaks and God starts giving answers to these questions. That's the setup for the book of Genesis that we have, that we just started here tonight. Uh, This book that was written by Moses as Israel is on the way to the promised land and God through Moses is looking back on how did we get here? What are we really doing here? Uh, and you know, thankfully, our story—you know—we can relate to this because our story is very similar, right? Uh, life at Yukon can feel very much like wandering, can it not? And as we go through life, we have the same fundamental questions that the people who first read the Book of Genesis had—questions like, "Why am I here? Uh, does my life matter?" What is life all about? Uh, Why can life sometimes be really great and sometimes be really horrible and sad? Uh, Why do I feel like I have a lot of purpose one minute and the next minute I'm like totally dejected and miserable? How am I supposed to live my life? Right? We come to this text with those questions, do we not? And God answers, the way God answers these questions is by telling a story. The book of Genesis is primarily a story, right? And so as we look at the book of Genesis, the story that God tells in our world, in, about our world, uh, we're looking at this question of how can God's story make sense of my story here today, of our story together? How can it make sense of my experience in this world? And today we're looking at this creation account And I just want to start off by saying we could spend the whole time talking about like the relation of science and evolution and the creation days. And I don't want to get into that, first of all, because a lot of Christians, a lot of sincere Christians have a lot of different opinions on that. If you want to talk about that afterwards or this week or next week, I love talking about that kind of stuff. But another reason I don't want to address it is because the, the Bible isn't really addressing that question. The length of the days or the age of the earth or anything like that. Uh, God didn't write a science textbook. He wrote a story. And God's not really trying to answer the how I did it question, but he is trying to answer the why I did it question. Why? Not how, how did the world come to be here, but why is the world here? What is God doing? And so I want to take us briefly through this text and just kind of spend a little time thinking about what Genesis 1 tells us about God what it tells us about our world, and what it tells us about us. So, three parts, right? First is God. Uh, what does it tell us about God? This amazing text tells us that God is the one and only good king. And it's written in a time where there were a lot of different accounts of like who, who the gods were, or how the world came to be. And this text comes along, and God says, I am the one and only good king. King. Now, where do we see that? Uh, we see that in a few places. Like uh, we, we saw. Did you notice how God creates? How he speaks the world into existence, right? Like as he speak, he says, "Let there be," and atoms and molecules collect, and there is. Like God controls it through His voice, by His word. Um, did you notice how He ordered everything? Like He has kings and kingdoms in mind, because in the first three days He created realms like light and dark and sea and sky and the earth with its vegetation and in the second three set of three days he uh, creates rulers of those realms like the sun and the moon to govern the day and the night and the fish and the birds to govern the water and finally animals and then man to govern the earth so he's got like he's got king kingly ideas in mind and did you notice how he named everything like naming is a sign of authority right like think about i was thinking about Connecticut where we live and how every town is named like Mansfield and Vernon and Windsor and Manchester right cuz it's all like people they had other like this had, it was named Connecticut it's a native american place and people came along and to show their authority english people they said we're going to name this town it's going to be called Mansfield now because that's what like my town back in england was called um, you know we 're i don 't know if you noticed when Maggie was here, but she 's like about that big now, and we 're about to have a son in two months and you know we 're going to name our son we don 't have a name settled yet, but uh, we 're going to name him because he belongs to us he 's ours um, so god 's the king right, but look how personal he is in this account like this would be total, a god who 's personal and knowable is really radical in this time and it is even today like this is a god as you read this text like you see him speaking you see him planning you see him kind of creating and then seeing and evaluating and thinking and ultimately enjoying meaning that this god is not just this like king that's up here but he's a king that i can know he's a king that i can uh, on some level begin to understand and finally look at how distinct he is from everything he's created you know, this is at, written at a time when people worship, say, the sun. And, and uh, God comes along and says, you know what? The sun is amazing. I made it. Like, I created the sun, the moon, the stars, everything you see. Uh, he's the one and only good king. So that's what we learn about God. Amazing things about God. But I want to move on to think about what we learn about our world. And what we learn about our world is that our world is God's good kingdom. And it has some very important characteristics. The first is that it's real. Uh, when I was in high school and then college, all the Matrix movies were coming out. Anybody seen the Matrix movies? And at that time, it was like, whoa. Like, you know, the Matrix is about, like, well, what if the world that we see is not actually the real world? And, and you know, it's basically based on, like, Eastern philosophy, those ideas. And, uh, and people would be like, whoa, like, maybe it's not real. Maybe it is a computer program, and thankfully that's all kind of like no one thinks about that stuff anymore but uh you know those are ideas that are you know a lot of places in our world people think about and uh, here comes god saying you know like the world is so real and it's not like it's not god the world is not god it's not an extension of god but it was created by god and it is fully dependent on god uh, our world this order this kingdom is orderly as well and this is super important like what this is saying is that the world was not an accident the world is not an accident we see that in this text with like every day is very orderly right every day ends with this refrain there was evening and there was morning the third day and what we see is that like you know there's a very distinct order to how god goes about creating it's very carefully planned and this is really important because it, it proves to us that Christianity is not anti-science. In fact, every, until recently, like, every important scientist was a Christian. And the reason why that was was because only Christians had this account. Only Christians had a reason to be like, you know what, I think the world is orderly, and I think if I study it, I can figure more things out about it. Right? Everyone else thought the world was chaos. It couldn't be controlled. It couldn't be harnessed. It couldn't be understood until Christians, based on this text, came along and said, you know what, we can understand it. Like, it is knowable because God made it orderly. Um, and order is good. Like, we need, like, the world needs to have order. Uh, the Russian novelist Dostoevsky, Jed loves this guy, um, famously said, if there is no God, everything is permitted. Think about that for a minute. If there is no God, everything is permitted. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, like, if this order isn't real, if this is just, if this is not true, then who are you to tell me anything about what I should do or how life is to be lived? Well, if there's no order, then there's no, like, going against the order. And so it's orderly. And finally, the world that God created is good and wondrous. Uh, over and over again in this text, at the end of every day, it's, God looks at what he's created and he says, it's good, it was good, it was good. Uh, in contrast to uh, most of the people that have lived in history who have you know, fought with the world, who have sought to harness the world because they viewed it as bad and out of control. And what it means that the world is good is that, you know what? No wonder life is great sometimes. Like, no wonder there is beauty, because God made a good world. Uh, it's wondrous. It's worth getting to know. It's worth studying. It's worth caring for. Uh, God, in fact, loves and cares for it all. So that's our world. So we looked at God and our world, and finally, I want to look at us. What do we learn about us? Well, we learn in this text, and then you see it at the end of the text, it says, you know, the last day God creates Man. And man is the pinnacle of God's creation. Uh, man was created to know God and to represent him in his kingdom. And there's three things that actually stand out in this text about the creation of man. Victoria, if you could skip to the last, I think, slide. Yeah. Uh, it's on there. Like when when God creates everything else, he says, uh, Let there be such and such, let there be. And but when he creates man, he says, Let us make. And when he creates everything else, he creates it according to its kind. You see that over and over. He created this and this according to its kind. But when he creates man, he says, let us make man in our likeness, in our image. and Meaning like a small-scale copy, a reflection of God. Uh, he gives man a job. Like no, no, no one else, no animal or anything is given a job. But to man and woman, he says, fill the earth. Subdue it, have dominion over. It. In other words, like rule this world with me. We're going to get more into that next week. This idea of like God, you know, our purpose in life is working with God in His world. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, so if you feel like maybe your life matters, it's because it does. This is what this is saying. If you feel like you have dignity and worth, it's because you do. You're the apex of God's creation. Uh, If you feel like your life matters, it's because it does. Uh, You're the pinnacle of God's creative work. Like, human beings are that. And we'll talk more about that next week. But, okay, so we spent some time kind of talking about what this text says, but I want to close by just talking about what it means for us. This is, you know, this is where the rubber hits the road. Uh, Three things. What does this mean for us? And the first is that, If God is really this good king like we're talking about, then life will only make sense if we live with him as our king. Uh, A lot of you saw Margot, my daughter, running around in here before our UF started. She's about two and a half now. She's really fun. She's starting to be able to do a lot of things on her own now. And I was thinking about it. One of the things that she could do now, feasibly, if she wanted to, is say, like, lock us out of her house out of our house. You know, she could say, like, you know what, I'm tired of mommy and daddy telling me what to do, so next time they step out of the house, I'm going to lock the door. She could feasibly do that, right? And what would happen is that life would get immediately worse for her in every way, right? Like, life would be horrible the second she locked it, you know, assuming, like, she couldn't unlock it. Um, You know, one of the biggest life mistakes we could ever make is to shut God out of our life, which is what you know, what we believe that we have ultimately done. And when we do that, it's, you know, we are made to worship God, and when we shut God out of our life, we say, like, I'm going to worship something else. I'm going to devote my life. You know, everybody worships something. Worship is what you dream about. It's what you think about. It's what you spend your money on. It's the way you live your life. And all those things are worship. And when we turn from God... We turn to worship other things. Um, last week, Maggie, my wife, turned 30. And so we, I was like, we're going to do this right. We're going to celebrate in New York City. So we went to New York, spent two nights in New York City, had an awesome time. Maggie loves Mexican food. So like on her birthday night, I was like on the Internet and like planning, I was on the internet for like seven hours, like finding an awesome Mexican restaurant in New York City that was just going to be, I found like the best one. It was called Tacuba. And the food, we just got like all these little tacos and they were amazing. And it's like, you know, you bite into it and there's this like burst of flavor in your mouth. And you just like want to take a picture of it and put it on Instagram. And um, so imagine like, We just had an amazing dining experience. The food was just, like, intensely good. And I want you to imagine a meal like that, and then, like, the chef comes out, right? Like, you get to meet the chef, and the chef sits down at your table. But then imagine, like, if me and Maggie said to him, like, man, tacos are a really good food, and cheese and beef are very good ingredients, and salsa is a good thing, like... We would never, we would say, like, instead of talking about, like, the food in general, we would talk about the one who made the food. We would be like, you're awesome! How did you do this? It, like, what did you do here? Like, can you teach us? Can you show, can you show us what you know about food? Um, the conversation, you know, if the chef at an amazing restaurant sits down at your table, you talk about him and what he does. You know, that's, you know, that silly situation, the restaurant talking about the food. That's what we do in life when, say, we make the goal of our life to get into a relationship. Or when we make the goal of our life to make money or to have a career, a good career, or to live comfortably with nice stuff, right? Because, like, the thing is, being in a relationship is awesome. It's great. Having cool stuff is great. Like, God god made everything so obviously the stuff he made is great but this opening chapter of genesis is begging us to see that we should really live and live for and pursue the one who made everything that is good all these great things so that's the first implication second one is we can't compartmentalize our lives into like a god part and an everything else part you know God is my, you know, Thursday night and Sunday morning is my God time, and the rest is like, you know, I got my school and my friends and my uh, significant other and my family. Like, this text is saying you can't do that because God is either king or he's not. God is either king of everything or he is not king of anything. But the one thing you can't do is compartmentalize him into one part of life. Uh, If he's really the king, then he has a say in What you major in and how you study, who you hang out with, who you date, how you spend your time, what career you choose. Because he's the king of everything. He's the king of it all. Um, And, you know, if you feel like uh, we all feel lost and confused and at various points in life. But, you know, if you there's a lot of reasons you might feel lost in our world. But one of the most fundamental reasons we feel lost is because we're playing king. One of the most fundamental reasons you may feel lost in life tonight is maybe you're playing king of your life. So that's the second one. You can't compartmentalize God into one part. But the final thing that I want us to look at, and we'll close with this, is that this text reveals a God who's not just a king. He's a lover. This God is a lover who is trustworthy. And, you know, it would be easy to kind of walk away tonight and be like, yeah, what Lucas said was right. Like, this semester, I'm going to make it all about God. But, you know, you guys both, you know, we all know that the semester goes along and, like, midterms come up, right? (laughs) And then, like, you got to find a job for June. And... Uh, you know, maybe you continue to feel insecure and alone, and we know how all our New Year's resolutions are, like, over by, like, January 16th, usually, and, uh, and so how can we really be different? Like, how can this not be about, like, all right, from now on, here I go, like, hopefully this works. How can it be different? And the answer is that when we, it, it, it can be different if we know not just that God is a king, but that he's a lover, I want us to think about where do we see that God is a lover in this account, that God loves? Uh, we see it in the, we see it in the fact that He like caringly tends for the world that He creates. and we see it, you know, he carefully orders everything. He, he, it's clear that he cares for everything that he's created. But there's a more fundamental question that I want us to just stop and think about for a second, which is like the question behind this whole text, which is... Why is there something instead of nothing? Think about that for a sec. It's a deep philosophical question that people have wrestled with for all time. Why anything? Why is there something instead of nothing? And there's a, you, you could answer that different ways. And, you know, why would God create in the first place? Maybe he was lonely. Nope. This text says he, you know, God... We see like the spirit of God hovering over the waters, and in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is at creation, and that God is a relationship within Himself. Most likely, God's angels were present as He's creating, so God could not be lonely. Uh, God could not need anything. God is God. He's He's sufficient within Himself. He's a relationship within Himself. He is utterly fulfilled. And what that means, if God is utterly fulfilled and he is God and he is a relationship within himself, what that means is that the reason there is something instead of nothing, the reason he created is because God said to himself, you know what, what I have is so good that I cannot help but share it. I cannot help but extend it out. And so God creates because ultimately God's a lover. And that's why it's a really big deal when we reject him and try to go about life our own way. And that's why it's a really big deal when much later in the story, God takes on a human body himself. When Jesus enters the world that he created and allows himself to literally be torn apart to rescue it, to rescue us. You know, if you have doubts about god's love for you if you have doubts about god's love for our world look no further than jesus the creator living and dying in our world so that we could have life look at him being uncreated at the cross on the cross jesus is uncreated so that we can be recreated Uh, uh, english puritan pastor and writer named john owen put it this way and this is, this is kind of my theme quote for the semester, I think. He says, The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on God the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him, is not to believe that he loves you. And if that's the, if that's the kind of God, if that's the God you come to know, then you will be different. If that's your king, then you will be someone who delights to serve that king. And everything you do you know work, school, friends, family, relationships, friendships, dating will all have tremendous meaning and purpose behind them. That. Uh, so that's what we're going to pursue together this semester. I'm going to close us in prayer and we'll have our last song and we'll be done. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you created our world. Thank you for including us in what you're doing. Ultimately, for drawing us in to know you, to know your love, to be transformed by it. We pray that we would experience some of that, even this semester, as we continue to gather and be in community together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.